Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. And if you're tuning in, thank you. I think this is one of the best podcasts uh, I've done really in a long time, maybe all season. I'll explain more about it here in just a moment. This is going to be a very brief first segment, and I'll explain again why here in a second. Congratulations to Jaden Daniels, the LSU quarterback who won the Heisman Trophy Saturday night. I voted for Daniels on my official Heisman ballot. I've been a Heisman voter for a little bit more than a decade, uh, and it's an honor. I take great pride in being part of that selection process, and it was really an easy choice for me. Uh, fun fact I put uh, in the story at DK Pittsburgh Sports Penn State had 4,600 some odd yards of total offense this year as a team. Jaden Daniels had 4,900 plus yards of total offense as an individual. 3,800 yards passing, 1,100 yards rushing. Just pretty incredible what he did. My second vote went to uh, Bo Nix from Oregon. Most voters took Michael Penix Jr. over Bo Nix. It's fine. Uh, I saw it a little bit differently. And I explained why in the in the uh, Penn State feed. And I went with Marvin Harrison Jr. third. Hey, look, uh, we've talked about this for a while now. If you had put Marvin Harrison on Penn State, Penn State would have beaten Ohio State, I think. One player made that big of a difference, and he is just a very special player. So uh, that's my Heisman bout. You can read all about my thoughts, again, in the Penn State feed. And uh, before I get into a whole bunch of football discussion, a huge win Saturday night for the Penn State men's basketball team coming back from an 18-point deficit in the second half to stun Ohio State and end a five-game losing streak. That's uh, pretty remarkable because this is I don't think this is a real good Penn State basketball team, but played Maryland close and then uh, beat Ohio State. So that's that's a that's a nice couple games showing first two games in Big Ten play for Mike Rhodes. All right. So why do I think this is such a good podcast coming up in the next two segments? Phenomenal. And I mean, phenomenal discussions on a whole ton of layers of Penn State football. It's not just me this week. Typically on these podcasts, I kind of go myself for 25 or 30 minutes with a bunch of different topics. Uh, I'm, I'm toying around with during the offseason. Uh, using some of the interviews I've done during the week on my daily radio show in Central PA and incorporating them here into the podcast. And I've done that again this week. Donnie Collins from the Scranton Times-Tribune will join me here in just a moment in the second segment. We talk about uh, the Manny Diaz move, 
to Duke, what that will mean, um, just all kinds of aspects of of how that will play out with the Penn State football program. And we aim getting into some music discussion. I'm not going to uh, give it away, but the beginning of that second segment is a real fun music uh, discussion. And in the third segment, Mark Woganridge from Fan Nation at SI.com, we touch on a whole bunch of issues, really the state of the Penn State football program right now. Uh, at this point, looking back on this year, looking at the bowl game, looking at opt-outs, NFL draft entries, and then ahead to next year. So these next two segments, they're pretty long. I got a lot of stuff for you if you want to dive in and really um, catch up on everything going on with the Penn State football program. I did these during the week, so you might notice a reference or two. I think we did the Diaz interview right before he was announced as the hire. So there might be a, a, a tad bit of a dated reference, um, but there's tremendous, tremendous stuff from Donnie Collins and Mark Woganrich coming up here. Hopefully you'll stick around for all of it. some breaking news here that I'm just kind of uh, trying to digest uh, all all around. I just saw this and uh, I'm like, uh, wow, I, I, I'm truly like and I'm truly stunned. I've done this show for 14 years and we have some breaking news every now and then that comes on during the show. And I'm like, OK, I got to get to this. this is important. Uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of flummoxed by this one because this one is uh, this is as good a breaking news as I can get. July 27th, PNC Park, Journey and Def Leppard, man. That is as good as it gets for yours truly. Uh, Journey is my favorite band. I saw, I love Def Leppard, Armageddon it and all that stuff. Hysteria, pour some sugar on me. I saw Journey and Def Leppard at Hershey Park Stadium in, I think, 2017. It was my all time favorite concert. Just absolutely phenomenal. I don't do the, I don't, I don't smoke the wacky, wacky stuff that a lot of people do, but I, I, I got like a secondhand wacky stuff high from all the stuff around me on the field at Hershey Park Stadium that night. But, uh, I'm literally beside myself. We got Journey and, uh, and Def Leppard here. I, I don't even, I, I don't even know what to say. I got my buddy Donnie Collins joining me to talk some Manny Diaz I, and some Steelers, but I, I'm beside myself here, Donnie. I, I didn't think I'd ever get to see Journey and Def Leppard again. So I, I, I'm just, I'm, a, I'm a little off my game right now, pal. I am shocked to hear that the devil's lettuce is a common occurrence at a journey concert, though. <laughs> nice, nice. We, my wife and I, we were on the field about uh, 20 yards from the stage, and oh my God, it was everywhere. Holy smokes. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's, your, what's your favorite band? What, what's your favorite concert you've ever been to? My favorite concert, my favorite band would be the Beatles. But so since I can't go to... To see the Beatles, it was, it was definitely Paul McCartney. Uh, last summer, I got to take the whole family. We all we splurged. We that was our summer. Well, it wasn't our summer vacation, but we were planning on it being summer vacation at that point. We ended up all, all the kids went. It was it was great. Saw up in Syracuse. It was a, just a great show. I mean, and you're, you're seeing a Beatles, so can't beat that. But I, I, I've seen some some really uh, really fun shows. I don't I don't know if other other than them. I have a 
favorite band. I'd love to see the Bee Gees, but two of them are gone. So that's really that's really where I'm at. It's interesting. So, because I just posted on Twitter my uh, my uh, excitement about this, and somebody responded, and this is interesting. This is true. There's nothing like going to a concert where maybe one original member is still in the band, <laughs> and that's actually true for Journey. The only original member is is Neil Sean. So, do you consider this? This 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 is a big question. This is as big as Penn State's next defensive coordinator, uh, Donnie. Do you consider a band? that is turned over a whole bunch or most of its members, do you consider them a cover band? Journey's been touring for a long time. Is Journey, for instance, a cover band? Yeah, I think so. I, and it's, not the, it's definitely not the band. Like I, I, I went to, When I went to Penn State, I, I went to one concert four years at, at the Bryce Jordan Center, and it was... A friend of mine got free tickets, and it was Chicago and the Beach Boys. Yeah. I really only went to see the Beach Boys, but it really wasn't the Beach Boys. If Dennis Wilson's not there, it's not the Beach Boys. Brian Wilson's not there, it's not the Beach Boys. So, But they played Beach Boys music, and they were maybe the best Beach Boys cover band ever because they had Mike Love. And, and yeah, it, it, but, you know, I, I, didn't cons- I don't think back on that and think, oh, I saw the Beach Boys. It wasn't like you saw them in the 60s. It was... I mean, and, and honestly, like I, I always thought about this, like in in the '90s, if like say Julian Lennon uh, joined McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr went on tour, I wouldn't consider that the Beatles either. So it's got to be the original members or the, or the members that you're known for. I mean, I guess you can say you can go see Van Halen if Sammy Hagar is playing. I guess that's okay, but there there are certain uh, there's certain limits as to what I would consider the original band, but. It's, it's it's still fun. I mean, whoever whoever is playing, they're playing the music. It's it's it, it's a it's just a fun night. And, we're, and, I, and I'll go to see anybody in concert. I, I don't care who it is. Last thing for you on this, because I'm a big music guy. I only really want to go to concerts where I know most of the songs. I can sing along. Uh, are you like that? Do you would you want to go to a concert? Do you want to know the songs, or do you just want to kind of feel the vibe, even if you don't know the lyrics to a lot of the songs? No, I need to know the. I need to be able to sing along in the songs. I don't know. I don't need to. I don't like to sing along, but I need to be able to. Yeah, if that makes sense. I don't want. I, I go to hear Paul McCartney sing. I don't want to hear the guy in front of me in the upper deck singing. It, it, you know, it, it's into it as he as he might be. But uh, yeah. I, so last year we went to the Kirby Center in Wilkesbury and saw uh, Jason Isbell, who is uh, a favorite of my wife's, and she knows all of his songs, but I don't know any of his. And it was a completely different experience for me to. Now, the really good music, but I know some depressing songs, and I don't know if and I don't know if that's what he's known for or whatever. But I, I thought some really well written songs. I didn't know the words to any of them, and I kind of was. I don't want to say over it, but about an hour and a half in, I was like, okay, we could uh, we could leave now, and I'd be okay. I just didn't know any of the music. Yeah, yeah, I have trouble. If I don't know the lyrics, I have trouble with that. All right, that's more important than probably anything else to me, but we will talk some Manny Diaz because uh, this this is huge. Uh, nothing concrete and yet, nothing confirmed, but at, at this stage, we're kind of expecting that Manny Diaz will be the next head coach at Duke. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier here, Donnie. I, I sang the praises of Joe Moorhead. I think Joe Moorhead saved James Franklin's career. 
in 2016 by what he did, and that was such an incredible hire. But I think Manny Diaz revolutionized Penn State's defense. We've seen Penn State be really good defensively for a long time with their bend but don't break style and you could move between the 20s but that you couldn't score on on them in the red zone. I think we saw a completely different style of Penn State defense the past two years. I, I cannot, I cannot praise enough what Manny Diaz brought. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree? You think I'm overstating? What do you think? I think he's the best coordinator hire in college football in the last 10 years. He, he, and, and, and I'll say this, Brent Pry was really good. Yeah, he was. I, I, I really, yeah, I thought Brent Pry was a top shelf defensive coordinator for Penn State. I, I, I thought they could have, if he didn't leave for Virginia Tech, they would have kept him around and they would have been just fine on defense. But Manny came in and maximized pretty much the potential of everybody on the field and made Penn State a weapon defensively at every every level of the defense. They, 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 Abdul Carter comes out of high school and is a, is a standout, partly because Manny Diaz knew how to use him. Chop Robinson, same thing. Chop Robinson was a perfect Manny Diaz player. You can line him up anywhere. He can do anything, and he can get after the passer. And that's what Manny really did a great job of, is getting after the passer. And I'm not sure that Penn State, not that they haven't, but not to this degree, where you where you have create, such creative ways to get there and, and such uh, an intent to deliver pressure on every down. Uh, and, and, and look, there were third and 15s where the other team converted, and everybody's like, oh, they can't get off the field. But that's because of the, the way that Manny Diaz called the defense. It was pressure every down. It was... And, and there certainly were a lot of those, but there were enough of them that, you know, there, there, there drew some criticism, but it's just the way they played. And, and you're benefiting from that far more than, than, uh, than, than you're, than there is a disadvantage to doing it that way. And look, you know, you look at the total defense numbers, they're, they're where they allowing 211 yards a game or something like that. And, you know, it, it, that, that's the best total defense in the country in, what, 12 years? I mean, that, that's, there's just a lot of tackles for loss, a lot of sacks, a lot of splash plays on defense, way more splash plays on defense than on offense. And, and, and that's a result of Manny having personnel to do what he wants to do and be creative as he wants to be. And, and, and I'll say this, it's, it's not going to surprise anybody that he's going to to Duke, or if, if he goes there, it won't surprise anybody if he leaves because everyone everyone at Penn State knows he's that good of a coach. But you're not replacing him either. You, you, there's just no way to go out and find the guy that's that good. And not that you can't find someone that, that'll be a good defensive coordinator, but you're not going to find another guy like this. And this was a, a home run hire by Franklin, who, and, and, and a courage of your convictions hire, and there's just not another guy out there like that to, to make that kind of a hire here. Yeah, I agree with that. Manny's a head coach. He is so sharp, so polished. Uh, he he belong he he belongs in the head coaching ranks. So he, I'm, I'm glad to see he's going to get that opportunity. Never should have been fired at Miami, in my opinion. I do not believe they should make some internal hire. With all due respect to Anthony Poindexter, uh, good guy on the staff. He'll get his shot at some point somewhere. 
I, I don't believe you can go from Manny Diaz to just hiring the best person on your. This this is this is as big of a big boy coordinator job as there is in college football. Two million dollar salary. Where do you stand on uh, on what they will go after now? Yeah, I, I love Poindexter. I, I think that the team loves him. He's a great guy. Uh, I'm not hiring Anthony Poindexter. I'm going. This is a and you put it best. This is a this is a you have to have head coaching experience. Have to have major defensive coordinator experience. Uh, that's the kind of qualification here. I, I, you're not bringing in somebody. And like, look, Elijah Robinson, a Penn State grad, and I've heard his name forever as a future Penn State assistant coach. But, you know, he just goes up to Syracuse and gets his first defensive coordinator job. He's not getting that job either. You have to have some experience. You have to have a track record for this. And I think the one thing, I mean, all the things I was just talking about, that's James Franklin's not dumb here. He's going to go out and get somebody who's going to try to do this sort of thing and and try to build off of this. You're not going back to Ben, but don't break here. I, I think he has seen the light, and he has seen that this is going to be the future of what Penn State's defense could be and what future and what, and what defense in college football is going to be. Splash plays on defense, get after the quarterback, creative ways to beat offensive linemen and, and, and put the quarterback on the move. And it works. And, and Manny, Manny Diaz had a championship caliber defense. No question about it. They could have won the national championship on defense this year. Not on offense, of course, not even close. But on defense, they could have done it. And I think they're going to go out and look for somebody who – has that kind of a pedigree, and I mean, I don't know if that name is out there. There, there, there are names out there that I could think of that I'm thinking, you know, that guy would be a fit, or this guy would be a fit. But I don't know if anybody's got the maybe one guy, <laughs> but you know, who, who I, I would think that that's a guy you can go after, and that could be a Manny Diaz type of splash. But there isn't, there just aren't many Manny Diazes out there, and you're going to have to get a little bit creative here if you're Franklin. And I think it's it's going to be intriguing to see how he goes after this because while we have a lot of historical evidence of what he goes after for offensive coordinators, we, we don't have that when he goes outside the program to, to hire a, a defensive coordinator. It's been only Manny. So, and, and he just, he, he lucked out in a way because Manny happened to have been fired inexplicably by Miami a couple of days before they needed a defensive coordinator. Donnie Collins from the Scranton Times Tribune. Last thing for you on Penn State. Did they miss the best opportunity this year? Or is there still a great opportunity next year? Now, you can use whatever criteria you want, but to me, it kind of started with Manny. Manny's gone. Chop's gone. Don't know yet about Kalen King. I think he should come back, but Adisa Eyes, I mean, Olu's gone. Maybe three-fifths of your line could be gone and off. They're going to be losing so much. I actually think the team will be significantly worse next year. Can that, can they still win 10 games and get to the playoff? Sure. But I, I, I kind of lean toward this was the year, Donnie. So where, where do you fall on that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far. I, I think it's, it's tough because I need to know how good everybody else is going to be. Ohio State's got everybody in the portal. And right. I, I know the, the thought here is Ohio State's just going to reload. And, and, and they're, they're going to hit the portal and spend money or whatever, but that doesn't always guarantee you a good team. That that's been hit or miss at times. I mean, Michigan State had a good portal team a couple of years ago and haven't been able to match that. Uh, you know, Ole Miss is a portal team, uh, but but you know, if you, I, I don't know that. 
Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how good Michigan's going to be. Penn State doesn't play them. I don't know what, without Penix and, and Bo Nix and Caleb Williams. I don't know how good the three teams coming in from the Pac-12 are going to be. So I, I need to see how good, how much Penn State's offense improves next year, and, and whether they can. But, but, but certainly, I've been on the record saying this was the year to go for it. Now, it, you know, next year I, I think you're almost guaranteed to make the tournament, but I don't know if that's a as big a deal next year. I, I think it's a much bigger deal to make the 14 tournament than the 12 team tournament. I don't know what the 12 team tournament is going to prove to me, but I, I, I thought this year was with, with Manny, with the way they could play defense. If I, I figured if they could play capable enough offense and only lose once, if they could beat either Ohio State or Michigan, they had a really good shot. And, and I, and I honestly, I, I, I still part of me thinks if they got in, if they were, if, if you take any of those four teams out and put Penn State in, I wouldn't necessarily think they've got no shot uh, it's because of the defense. I, I think they can win a low-scoring game. But, yeah, I, I, we'll have to see what they bring in, if, if Manny leaves and, and who they're going to bring in on to run the defense and what kind of style it is and, and, and things like that. I think there's just a lot of question marks. But, but yeah, it, it, it's hard to say that this year wasn't uh, a great opportunity because they had the pieces on defense on the field, which matters more than anything. But, number two, they did have – uh, a generational defensive coordinator who he was a guy. You know, he, he may have coached his last game ever as a defensive coordinator. He 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 might it, yeah, he he might be a head coach the rest of his career. So who knows what you know? Yeah, what, what Penn State's going to be next year with the next guy? But we know what they were with Manny Diaz, and, and on defense that was that was special. Donnie Collins from the Scranton Times Tribune. I want to switch gears. You're a Steelers fan, is that right? How'd you become a Steelers fan in Eastern PA? <laughs> so it's. We didn't have cable television growing up. We had, we, we were, you know, when we watched television, we had uh, five channels and two of them on Sundays were, one of them was the Eagles game and one of the Steelers game. And the Eagles game was always the CBS game because NBC had the AFC package back then. But NBC came in clearer than CBS. And that's exactly how I became a Steelers fan. I, I didn't want to have to, Keep adjusting the rabbit ears to watch the Eagles. I didn't have to do it to watch the Steelers, so that's how I became a fan. Nice True story. All right, they were t- they lost to a two and ten week team last week. There's no yeah, chance. I, I there, there's no chance they can lose to another two and ten team, right? Oh no, they, these guys could do anything. Now, I, I, they could beat a ten and two team and lose to a two and ten team. They, they are they are completely. I, I I don't even know what to say about these guys because they you know I, I knew they were going to lose to the Cardinals. I, it just there's that one game a year where they always go out there and lose to somebody they absolutely should pound. And this year it was the Cardinals, and good for the Cardinals, I guess. But the Steelers have a way of looking so bad when they should when they even even when looking okay will win you the game. And like, I I think it's interesting because. They may, they may have been okay if Kenny Pickett didn't get hurt, and you know they're able to just do what they want to do and, and, and run their semblance of an offense or whatever they have. But you know they, they were they were terrible. They 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 they're bad in every facet of the game, and that that happens to them once a year. And you know what they do every time that ha- that happens? They come out and rebound and play okay. So I fully expect yeah. they'll win this game yeah. tonight. But I you know I don't I don't have a. As far as what that tells me about this team, I don't know. I grew up as a Dolphins fan. I love offense and Dan Marino and 
And so when Tom Brady started doing a lot of those same things, I gravitated toward them. I live here. I'm a Steelers fan. I watch the Steelers every week. I was a Patriots fan uh, throughout the whole dynasty because I just love, I want to be entertained. I, I, I enjoyed watching what the Patriots did for entertainment purposes. I'm going to make a statement here that you might think is crazy, but give me 20 seconds to explain it. I think Bill Belichick might be the luckiest person in the history of all sports, period. Because if Drew Bledsoe doesn't get hurt, he might have zero Super Bowls, Donnie. Zero. There was, there's no indication they were. There's no indication they were moving on from Drew Bledsoe in 2001 when they were 0 and 2, and then and then all of a sudden you fall into this sixth round draft pick who was kind of a clunky, chubby, slow white guy at the combine. I mean, to me, if Drew Bledsoe, you see where I'm coming from? Oh yeah, no, I agree with you. I I, I don't even think that's that controversial a statement. <laughs> good. Before Tom Brady, Belichick wasn't a good coach. He was he was an okay defensive minded head coach. After Brady, he's not even a good defensive coach. I mean, they're, they're okay, but he, he's not winning games. Defense. He's not able to to do what some of those some of these teams have done in, in the past, and, and with you know what, what Brian Billick did with the Ravens and, and, and carried carry your team even to respectability. He hasn't been able to do it. And, yeah, I, 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 there was that really funny discussion for years there where is, did Belichick make Brady or did Belly, uh, Brady make Belichick? And, it, it, you know, I, I think that question has been answered. I mean, Brady turned out. They, they completely lucked out. They, they drafted a quarterback for whatever. And, and there, there's a million stories about who wanted them and, and, and why and, and what, the, what the reasoning behind taking uh, Brady was in, in the sixth round that year. But the, the end of the story is they walked out. He turned into the best player in the history of the league. And at, at, at this point, there's no doubting that he was the reason that they won all those championships. And, and that, that's great. Great for Tom Brady. But it doesn't make Belichick a, a, a great coach. I, I, I think he's a, if, without Tom Brady, and if he had just if, if Drew Bledsoe doesn't get hit there, if he's able to come back the next week and play, I think Belichick would have retired 10 years ago as a very good defensive coordinator. Nice. Excellent. All right, very good. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks so much for the time, pal. All right, man. All right, good stuff. Donnie Collins from the Screen Times Tribune. It's an outstanding bowl matchup against Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl. It's really a terrific matchup. Penn State's only losses were to Ohio State and Michigan. Ole Miss's only losses were to Alabama and Georgia. This is a sensational bowl matchup. I'm going to welcome in my pal Mark Wogenrich from Fan Nation at SI.com, and I'm going to suggest to you that the bowl game doesn't matter at all, Mark, that I don't really care about the game <laughs> itself, that the matchup is great, and, Come the, on. and the stories are great, and the game itself is meaningless. Am I wrong? Am I being too pessimistic in 2023? Now, is this the first game of 24? 
is this the exhibition game? If you win, if, if you win, yeah. and you can change yeah. this. Uh, right. Was the Outback Bowl in twenty twenty one? Was that the first bowl? Because they see you can change the narrative however you want, depending yeah, on what happens. Exactly. Now, actually, the, the Outback Bowl absolutely was the first game in twenty twenty four because of the opt out. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think, and I think the Rose Bowl last year, except for Smith Vilbert, co- except for Smith Vilbert, yeah. I don't think we've ever seen There's, Smith Vilbert ever again, have we? Yeah, no, really, no. <laughs> but I mean, I, I would think the Rose Bowl last year was, you know, the the completion of 2023. So I think perception wise, yeah, this one is this one kind of falls into the uh, into kind of a midway ground in there for me that it's a. It's a really good Citrus Bowl matchup, just an elevated in a year six game. So yep. maybe we're conflating the importance of it. But yeah, this is a Citrus Bowl game too. It's a good game, but it's perfectly, you know, a 10-11 game is more something I would expect to see in Orlando. Yeah, it's it, it's a terrific game. Really, I, I would love mm-hmm. to see both of these teams at full strength. It'd be fantastic because you got an awesome, yeah. awesome offense from Ole Miss. Uh, you got an awesome defense from Penn State. I'd love to see, but Chop Robinson has already opted out. Olu Fashionu is going to opt out any any minute now, I would think. Then we get into interesting discussions. Is Kalen King going to be back at Penn State next year? I would at, I would say no at this point, simply because I still think he's going to get, I, I don't know how his grade would be affected. He couldn't have been graded last year. So that's probably moot. So he doesn't know what the actual grade is one, you know, what the grade would have changed from last year over this year. Right. I think if he's getting though, I think if he's still getting a second round pick, he would be gone. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, Kalen King. I mean, if you look on a a bunch of mock drafts, you know, Mm -hmm. as over the last couple of months, he's like 15 to 20. Uh, There's no way he's a first round pick. I mean, if Joey Porter, I mean, to me, Joey was so much better his final year than Kalen King. Kalen King, I thought was, I thought he really benefited from having Joey on the team last year. But when he had to go up in, in primary matchups against some folks this year, I think Kalen really got exposed. So that's what we're kind of waiting to see. If Kalen King is going to turn pro, there's no way he plays in this get bowl game, right? I would say probably not. I don't know that I'm as, I don't know that. The, he probably no. I would say no. That the guys who are going to go pro, and I would put Kalen in there. Obviously, Adisa Isaac. You know, you mentioned Olufashinu. Those are probably the top four that I'm thinking about. I'm really wondering though whether the what decision that they're going to make, whether returning, whether you know at least remaining eligible for the bowl game for the bowl game, but playing at limited strength or not limited strength, but playing limited snaps. I wonder that to me is is really the, one of the unique components because it's still, it's, this is a very different, this is a very different time than when Saquon stayed in 2017. Saquon did not have the benefit of, uh, of NIL money to at least enhance the last couple of weeks of the year. These guys might even have NIL contracts that go through, you know, the end of the calendar year that if they, they, uh, if they don't fulfill, then they have to repay money or something like that. I that I don't know. That's a that is a fascinating so, component of like yeah. is are they contractually obligated to play in these games? Right, and the, that's the kind of stuff. Um, I, I remember you know speaking with somebody about nil a year ago, and that was one of the that was one of the ideas that they floated is is making ni or is making bowl games nil deals contingent on bowl games and that not everybody's going to sign that sort of deal. And, and I don't, you know, somebody with an agent probably wouldn't sign this. Or I don't know where those guys, guys are 
on that spectrum. They could stay, they could hang around, and they, you know, a guy like Olu could could stay. He have everything set up for leaving after the bowl game and just, you know, play a few snaps or not play at all. I don't know. I don't know what the benefit of that would be for them with regard to the game, not with regard to the overall umbrella of staying with the team, that sort of thing. If you think that you're just going to start January 5th training somewhere in Arizona and you've got everything simplified and you want to do that first, you know, go to the bowl with the team one last time, fine. Chop had a different view of that, and I think that that's fine too. But again, I, I look back at when Saquon you know, went to the Fiesta Bowl in 2017 was adamant about it. He did not have the uh, first of all. He was he was on a pitch count. I mean, they did have him limited behind Miles Sanders, but he also didn't have um, these added components that the, the, these guys uh, on current rosters currently do. Yeah, Mark Wogenich from Fan Nation at SI dot com. All all really good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Saquon would will never happen again. That's I I cannot right. see. I cannot. I, I mean, he he was still that was twenty seventeen. Still very early on mm-hmm. in the process. And the year before, I think it was mm-hmm. Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette did yeah. opt out. And at that point, that was so. I remember Christian McCaffrey got just blasted by everybody. Yeah. Now everybody's opting out and to the point where, okay, so you mentioned the four. These are the main four. Chop, um, Olu, Adisa Isaac, Kalen King. I don't think Curtis Jacobs should play in this game. I don't think Theo Johnson should play in this game. I don't think Hunter Norzad should play in this game. I don't think Caden Wallace should play in this game if they're going to go pro. Anybody. It it might. And look, Hunter's not even going to get drafted. Okay. If you're going pro, I I get, and maybe there's some, a level of safety at center. I don't know. Although you're going to get your head banged in for 70 snaps. I did. I, I have come full circle. Or to to the point where now I don't believe anybody that's going to turn pro mark can benefit really in any way from at all and in, in any way from a bowl game because they're they're going to judge you on the combine and pro day no matter what you do no matter Kalen King has not had a good year but whether Kalen King ends up in the first or second round is going to is not going to depend on how he does against Ole Miss it's going to depend on what he shows at at, at the combine. No, he could pick Jackson Dart three times in that game. It'll absolutely make no difference to his draft stock. You're absolutely right about that. This actually then comes back. It's interesting that it comes back to a level of agency for the players. And this is, they, they're making a decision, you know, as you said, with regard to the, the injury level or the injury factor, you know, whether I get hurt, not going to take that risk. I think there is some element too of of at least the flip side of that for some of these guys maybe not wanting to let go of the uh of the college football experience having uh, yep. that one more yep uh, just you know one more last couple of weeks i I mean I don't know how much Olu fashion who probably hasn't practiced yet I would think with with the team even if he uh if he chooses to join the team in the bowl game, I'll bet you he has not even practiced yet there's no need for him to do that. They need work for Drew Shelton and other players at left tackle. There is no need for him to play in in you know in the Peach Bowl necessarily because it would be more beneficial, quite frankly, I think, to get other players active there than to have him protecting protecting Drew, even though he's not giving up a sack. So you know maybe that would be beneficial for, for, for Drew, obviously. But there's the element that I, I I think maybe we do overlook the sentimentality of it, at least from a player perspective of not wanting to give up that last element of it, of not wanting it to be a business too soon for some guys. Yeah. They want to jump, 
they're you know they're in both feet. I get it, and you know particularly with Chop having missed two games with an injury, I don't think there's anything for him uh, to prove. I would I would even throw Johnny Dixon's name in that category. Yeah. So let, let's let's pose it this way, regardless of the bowl game. Is Curtis Jacobs back next year? Is Caden Wallace back next year? Is Theo Johnson back mm-hmm. next year? Because I'll get to the second part of this question of was was this year the chance or is next year still the opportunity? Are those guys back next year? I'm most curious, I think, about the offensive players. You mentioned Caden Wallace and, and Theo Johnson. Um, I've heard for a couple of years from from Phil Troutwine, how Caden Wallace is an NFL athlete at right tackle. I mean, I had, I did a magazine interview with him like two years ago and he's telling me about how Caden Wallace is one of the most athletic tackles that he's really ever coached. Um, and I think he, and he upgraded that this year. He did, I think he had a really good season. Could he come back and turn himself into, you know, a first day NFL draft pick by by returning next year and going he's into played last he's year, played a ton of college football. Going into last year, he was very yeah. highly thought of. Then he had a really bad season in twenty twenty two where he was getting benched. So he had a good year this year. I thought he was. I no. thought he did really well. Um, so in his mind, is coming back going to benefit him because uh, again, right. if he goes to, I don't know, Caden's going to the combine. I mean, he'll be at the pro day. I mean. Whether it's pro day this year or pro day next year, it just seems like so much emphasis is now placed on all of this kind of stuff that the games, since it really bothers me, that the games become less and less relevant when they're trying to judge these guys. Yeah. And I wonder, but I think an offensive tackle, you're still going to be, that's still going to be a big element of it is how you work in a system and all that kind of stuff. I think people are going to really look at, they're going to look at film. I think especially with offensive tackles, you they're going to talk about move and bend and everything like that. And who nobody cares what, what an offensive tackle, even what they bench or how they run at the combat. I think their film matters the most. And he put some good film together this year. Uh, another year, I think another year of good film would benefit him, but that would be four years to start. That's, that's a, a big one. That's a big one because yeah. you're losing Olu on the left side. Yeah. You're losing Hunter in the middle. If you if you lose Wallace on the right side, we, we've we gone into basically every season for the last 7,000 years saying that Penn State's yeah. offensive line was going to be the biggest question mark. Well, that really wasn't the case this year. We thought it was going to be a strength, but if you go into next year and you lose Wallace, you're already going to lose two of them. If you lose if you lose three of them, and Theo Johnson, who is an, he's not Jesse James. He's not Pat Fryermuth. He's not Mike Gasicki. He is a blocking tight end. He is a, he is a de facto offensive lineman on a number of type of, types of schemes. So th- this is a significant component for everything that we're talking about with Caden Wallace and Theo Johnson. Yeah, no question. That's why they're the most intriguing to me. Curtis Jacobs might be, you know, a player like Curtis Jacobs might be looking at, I don't know what else I could do. I don't know how much more I can upgrade as my draft stock right now. He had a good year. So a day two pick for him because he's got, I think he's going to test well. And I think linebackers testing well matters more than at a combine than an offensive lineman. Yeah, this is all. So the second part of that whole theory about all of this is, was this the year? We don't know anything about Manny Diaz. I'm checking Twitter here every 15 minutes or so because <laughs> I I do think there's a really good chance Manny is going to be the head coach at Duke. Or do you, would you, do you, I mean, it's 50-50 to me at this point. Do you disagree with that? 
Uh, yeah, 5248. Yeah. Or 50, yeah, yeah. I think there's probably a pretty good chance that, I mean, it's stretched for a while. So, yeah. So him, Jim Knowles from uh, from Ohio State, they're two of the, what, three or four that it looks like that are still. So anyway, so this year they had all this talent and they've got Manny. Uh, next year, what if they don't have Manny and they're not going to have Olu and they're not going to have Chop? Maybe they're not going to have Kalen King. Maybe they, and maybe they don't have some of these. W- was this the year, Mark? Or is there going to be enough back next year to make us think that that next year is is the legitimate year? And I, I'm not talking about getting to a playoff. They're going to get to a playoff okay. unless it's a yeah. disaster. Okay, <laughs> but I'm talking about getting to the Final Four. Yeah, that was that was those are going to go now. You're talking about the year, the year, about yep. again? <laughs> the year to the Final Four. Um, I would think this was the year, especially with okay. what we've seen. Yeah, and I I thought that earlier. I thought as the season was going on. I thought, you know, Drew Aller kept progressing and that offense, you know, broke out of a shell at some point and started becoming the offense maybe that we expected it to be with a little more downfield strength um, with the big plays from the running backs, everything like that. It had the defense. uh, It had a defense to absolutely to rely on. And I, you know, I wonder if, you know, still that play, you know, the Curtis Jacobs, touchdown called back by the penalty um against ohio state to me is like kind of the play of the year yeah i don't know how i you know i don't know how that would have turned out they probably i don't think they would have made uh i you know if everything goes well they still lose to michigan then they're not going to the big 10 title game so that doesn't necessarily as much matter um but still what a change perception but yeah, absolutely would have changed perception. You know, even that one play. And I don't know how that would have changed the rest of the season too. I would have altered it being undefeated playing uh, against Michigan at that particular time. How I might have altered even the next week, you know, the next game against Indiana and how the, if they would have, you know, the, had, had they won that game on a defensive effort, had the offense been able to, um, you know, reshuffle itself and reset itself and actually, you know, put things together. And would, would that have been the kickstart for Mike Gersuch too? He'd still be here as well. I mean, I, you know, that one play, I, can, I just look at it as like a real, just a, a real seismic moment for, for James Franklin. The playoff comes next year and uh, it's, it's just so fascinating. I, I've talked about this for a couple of years. No program is going to benefit more than Penn state. Once we get to 12, they, they would have made it six times now uh, since 2016 if there had been 12, but uh, obviously they haven't made it at all. And then you look at what the bracket would be this year, Mark, mm-hmm. their, their first round opponent this year, if it would have been 12, freaking Ohio State <laughs> in Columbus. I mean, now would it ha- would it have been that, or would well, they have the, the, adjusted that? The to- NCAA men's basketball tournament does not allow conference matchups within the first round, but yeah. Yeah. six of the teams in the playoff are from the SEC, and five are either Big Ten this year or next year, meaning Oregon yeah. and Washington. So how can you have a rule like that? I mean, how how can you possibly? I I, I just don't I don't know that they can avoid. A, a, a conference matchup yeah. in the first round. The other one would have been, it would have been Ole Miss Georgia. Am I right? Is that right? I didn't. I didn't, I really was only focused on Penn State, I but that's maybe that that would have been that might have been the flip. That you know, Penn State Georgia and and uh, 
and Ole Miss, um, Ohio State. I'm not sure about that. But Here's where it matters, where though. But, Here's, I see so many people poo-pooing all, all these numbers, really, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Who, who cares? I mean, you're, it's not 12. Okay. Uh, it's going to matter a ton. It's going to matter a ton next year, next year, that they put Ohio State 7th. Okay. It's going to matter oh, a, yeah, absolutely. a ton that they put Georgia fourth. Okay. Or, I'm sorry, sixth. Because think about this. Georgia would beat Florida State right now. So th- this notion that we're, we're all arguing about who the top four is, to me, I think I really, really worry. I really question the committee. I watched the rankings throughout the, there was a, a couple weeks ago, they had Oregon State ranked ahead of Penn State, for God's yeah. sake. Mm-hmm. When Oregon State, I mean, I mean, we're talking about Penn State's only losses were to Ohio State and Michigan, the number one and the number three team in the country at the time. And they had Oregon State ranked ahead of them at either 10th and Penn State was 11th or Oregon State was 11th and Penn State was 12th. And my point with that was that matters. That that matters coming next year. Where, where they've got these people and, and what your first round matchup is going to be. Because again, folks, at 11, Penn State could end up having a better matchup then at 10, at 10, they got to play Ohio State. So I, I really worry about the committee next year because the uh, Tyler Donahue from 247 Sports has been all over this on Twitter. He doesn't see how you've got Georgia behind Florida State. Cause if your criteria is that we just think Alabama is better than Florida State, well, hell, Georgia's better than Florida State. Ohio State's better than Ohio Florida State, State right State. now. Ohio State? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So where, where I mean, is where, Oregon, quite frankly, is Oregon. Yeah, Oregon's right. Lost, you know, so you how know, would they do if this? If you were going to argue, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, what do you think they're going to do? You think they're going to spend more time and have to have more criteria in place for, for the numbers next year? The one thing I hope that gets removed is the is the concept of the uh, the roster, uh, specifically regarding injury. You don't like that when your roster looks. I really, I really don't. Okay. I don't like that as a determinant determinant factor in making a playoff or being seated because in no other context does that have any uh, bearing on. On where you're seated, it, it you know, you seed yourself. You know, I think the one year like the the Penguins made the playoffs when both Sidney Crosby and and, and Malkin were hurt, and they got bounced in the first round. I, okay, so they seeded themselves by t- injuries to their two best players, still made the playoffs. However, and we've had you know how many other discussions about backup quarterbacks winning. I would like them to I would like them to remove that criteria because I think it. It's going to be less necessary. It's not going to be as acute as it was this year in particular with Florida State. How they're going to do it with the 12, I mean, think about that bubble again where Penn State was kind of sitting on it this year, that Missouri, Missouri-Penn Missouri State, Ole Miss, That's Oklahoma right. yep. bubble from from 9 to 12. And, and did, did you spot, feel you that Penn Michigan State was getting up. screwed over after only losing to Ohio State and Michigan? mean by being ranked as a top 10 team i didn't think in this in this instance no 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 not at the end were. though but a couple weeks ago yeah. a couple weeks ago because oh, by dropping down yeah yeah that was a recency bias yeah and yeah. i think there was recency bias of the idea of losing at home to a jim harbaugh less team with that kind of offensive performance and then maybe firing your offensive coordinator the next day 
I can't, you know, the committee can say they don't take things like that into account, but, you know, we, they're, we, they're on Twitter too, so. The one thing we've seen, a lot of people have pointed this out, uh, the basketball scenario in 2000, uh, Cincinnati was 28-2. and two. They were led by Kenyon Martin. They were number one in the country that year for 12 weeks. Cincinnati was a phenomenal basketball team. Kenyon Martin broke his leg mm-hmm. at the end of the season, and they were a clear number one seed, but the committee dropped him to a two seed because clear, obviously that wasn't the same team. Basketball's different. Basketball, you lose one superstar. It can change everything. Um, but they dropped Cincinnati to a two seed. And to finish out that story, Cincinnati did win its first game that year. Then they lost to Tulsa, a seven seed in the second round. So it did make a difference. So okay. while I will agree with you on the, the concept of the injury thing, you know, if Kalen King gets injured or, you know, Curtis Jacobs or Theo, jo- but, if Drew Aller got injured and Penn State's on the bubble, I, I, to me, it's the same thing as as the Florida State scenario. Although there are Penn State fans out there, I'm sure that might argue that Penn State would be better off with Bo Pribula anyway. So I kind of <laughs> I kind of stepped into that a little bit. But the point is, if you lose your quarterback, that's that is a significant significant factor. It absolutely is, but I think it should not be. You should be able to play your way out of that, or at least prove that you can play your way out of that. Florida State played LSU and Florida and won those games and didn't Yeah, make they went 3 and 0 and mean, didn't make it. Will James Franklin yeah. ever want to play a quality team in the non-conference ever again and should he? Oh gosh, absolutely not. I mean, he's been making this argument for what 5 years now. Yeah. There's there's absolutely no point to it. The other thing there's no point for him to do. I mean, we we know his injury policies about about um announcing injuries and really they only he only discussed them when they're season ending. Why would you do that now? Why would you why would you make that public? Yeah, that is I mean, fascinating. Say, yeah, I mean, your quarterback gets hurt, just put him on questionable list. You know, hey, say, Rook, you know, he could be back six to eight weeks, and then I, you go, oh, you know, oops, he, you know, he aggravated something, and he's out for the season. You could, yeah, you could always yeah. manipulate that kind yeah. of stuff. Who's what's where's the oversight? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the NFL actually has oversight; they'll investigate. Yeah. I am curious your thoughts very quickly here because I know I've kept you for a long time on the new offensive coordinator. I like the hire. The guy's put up good numbers. He was named today uh, the. <laughs> Uh, offense coordinator of the year in the country by 247 Sports. So he, he clearly has done very, very, very good work. I had a kid on my show last week from the Lawrence Journal World who covers Kansas football said that Texas Tech's coach compared Kansas' offense to the triple option and somebody else compared Kansas's offense to the wishbone and said it's like playing Air Force. Um, Drew Aller ain't running a damn triple option no. or, or wishbone. And he knows he's not going to run that to the Big Ten either. So, so I'm just curious, like, what what we've seen from Kansas mm-hmm. is not what we're going to see at Penn State. So I just, I, you think, I mean, Bo Prabula would love this, but I <laughs> that that's my question here. And you know what else also troubled me? He said, that this was this was very intriguing, and I haven't taken the time to look this up. Maybe you can. This would be a good story. He said that Kansas really struggled in short yardage situations. And, uh, you know what Penn State really struggled with in 2016 <laughs> and 2017? Short yardage yeah. situations. If you're going to be this kind of, you know, wacky scheming offense that's doing all this type of thing, can you line up at the point of attack and bust somebody in the nose and push them out? I mean, because even with Saquon and Miles Sanders, they struggled under Joe Mo in short yarded situations. So anyway, I guess my point is, mm-hmm. while I love, I do really like the hire. Um, 
I don't know that what he's done in his career is is really going to work at Penn State. Yeah, the one thing, and I spoke with somebody who, on our network uh, who covers Kansas and got to know Andy Kodnick a little bit there. And so what he was really well known for there, and I think this is the most important thing to me, is that he was able to match um, scheme to talent. Yep. And that's something exactly what James Franklin said. And I wonder, and it seemed like James was trying to say that Mike Yersich, at least this year, was doing more talent to scheme. Um, or he was, you know what I mean, that he was yep. trying to fit the talent into his scheme, which was interesting because last year with the introduction of, you know, that the T formation and using with Brent Strange and the tight ends, um, the, they seem to be doing that particular like that particular formation was matching talent or, or was matching scheme to talent. And so I, th- I think Andy's going to have to come in and assess and, and know that what he's got in, in, in Drew, in Drew Aller is very different than what he had in Jalen Daniels, who only played a couple of games this year at Kansas. But I, I found it interesting too, that our guy who covers the Kansas said that the, all that talent at Kansas was there. At least the players were there. They didn't have much um, attrition when like Lance Lee, when Lance Leipold and, and Kodal Nicky came in a couple of years ago, that most of those guys stayed. They were less miles as players. They stayed and like worked through it, you know, in, in 2022 or 21, and then just kind of worked through it and got to this spot. So he's familiar with doing something like that. I think he's familiar with, with building within a set of offensive, uh, circumstances and priorities and a framework and players. And I think that's the hallmark of a really good offense. So I just of a really good offensive coordinator, obviously. So I, you know, some of those plays we saw on Twitter, the, the on Twitter, the tricky stuff. And yeah, uh, that's you know, not, that's pulling. not the base stuff, right? No, no, absolutely. Those are plays that stand out, you know, because they show up they're they're unique. And I haven't really had a chance. I haven't really like watched a Kansas game just to see what the base is. Um, if he's got the adjustable base, that's the most important thing. The other thing I thought was interesting is that he coached tight ends um, at Kansas. And, I, you know, if he's going to come in, I will he, I doubt, you know, he's not, not going to take that over unless they, you know, juggle their staff somehow. Um, so is he just going to be the offensive coordinator? Will he work with quarterbacks some ways? I don't know that he has any history doing that. And they obviously have Daniel O'Brien as a GA on staff. Um, I mean, my posit, my theory was that if you lose Manny Diaz, you could take, you could just like one fell swoop. If you promote Anthony Poindexter to defensive coordinator, and then Danny O'Brien becomes your quarterback's coach at that three spot. And that takes care of everything right there. And James doesn't have to go on two more uh, coach searches. Yeah, that could happen. I just hope James lets him run his offense. That's that's my yeah, concern. That's the I, biggest thing, right? Yeah, let him run his offense. Hey, I apologize for keeping you so long, but fantastic, oh, no, fantastic it. discussion, brother. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, Corey. Great stuff. Always enjoy Mark Wogrich, Fan Nation at SI. 